Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. And Dee, I have a quote for us to start today. Awesome. Give me a quote. And this is by Eleanor Roosevelt. I once had a rose named after me, and I was very flattered, but I was not pleased to read the description in the catalog. No good in bed, but fine up against a wall. (laughs) Do you think she really said that? Probably. She probably (laughs) did say that. I think she was a pretty spunky first lady back in the day. Yeah, she was pretty sassy, so I like it. That was awesome. That's hilarious. So I'm guessing that our topic this year is, I mean, topic this year, topic today is roses, right? That is our first topic. We're going to talk about roses, which I have one more quote. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. We can complain because rose bushes have thorns or rejoice because thorns have roses by Alphonse Carr, a a tour around my garden. Huh. I thought there was also a similar quote like that attributed to Abraham Lincoln, but who knows? Maybe it was Alphonse, the first one who thought of that. But yes, roses do have prickles. so They do. So Dee, I'm going to have to defer a lot to you on this because, as you know, I just don't really mess around with a lot of roses in my garden. But you have grown a ton of them. Mm-hmm. Roses were the first flower I fell in love with when I first started gardening. Gosh, I mean, I gardened indoors when I was a teenager, but um, I think in my very first house, I planted roses. I planted three roses. And after that, I became very smitten with them. And I'm still smitten with them, even though our relationship has changed over the years. Really? And I remember when I was a kid, my dad and I going to the garden center in early spring when they would have those roses bare root and packed in plastic bags with peat moss all around their roots. And I'd be shivering there while he'd pick out his next round of hybrid teas because they just didn't tend to last very long. Yeah, and there's a good reason for that because those roses that are packed bare root in the peat moss and the bags are not the highest level of rose that you can buy. They're considered a cheaper, more inferior product, which a lot of times people won't tell you that. And my suggestion is either buy them already in pots or order your roses from a supplier that specializes in roses. And we can actually give some people some links to various nurseries that I have bought from over the years. And then you get grade one really good roses. I would agree with that, and I think later on he did buy some that were potted up. I also remember black spot (laughs) disease, aphids, Japanese beetles, and he would coat those roses with all kinds of rose powders and sprays to try to keep them healthy, Yeah, and they just ended up looking terrible. Well, and that's why roses, roses have gone through different stages throughout history, And during when your dad grew them, probably in the 50s and 60s and 70s, everybody put roses kind of all together in one area so that they could spray them every two weeks. And what you did is you sprayed them, actually you'd spray them once a week with insecticide, and then the next week you would spray them with a fungicide. And that was to also stop powdery mildew along with black spot. But it never really worked very well. And... uh, I mean, the pesticides worked. They got rid of all the rose pests, but unfortunately, through overspray, they got rid of everything else. Back in the day, people grew roses on their own roots 
on very, very disease resistant shrubs and very tough shrubs. And those were grown within the garden. And that's how I prefer to grow roses. I do not spray my roses. In fact, somebody was at my house last week and they were like, D, there's black spot on that rose. That, that rose leaf has black spot on it. And I said, yes. And I plucked it off and stuck it in my pocket to throw away later. Because the truth of the matter is, even if you spray all the time, it's really hard to keep your roses disease-free. And if mine lose a few leaves to black spot, or even if, dare I say it, they become naked from black spot, I'm not going to spray them. They grow the leaves back in the fall, and they do fine. It, it doesn't really deteriorate the bush itself. Now, having said all that, I grow very disease-resistant roses, and the ones I grow are not hybrid teas. I can count on my right hand the two hybrid teas I have in the whole garden because hybrid teas do need a lot of, a lot of extra care. They're like prima donnas. They are. They're prima donnas. And it's probably the tea rose in them, that, that tea rose background that makes them like that. Shall we talk a little bit about Japanese beetles? Well, if you want to. <laughs> Do you have Japanese beetles in Indiana? Oh, yes. We have tons of them. Last year was a terrible year for Japanese beetles in that we had a ton of them. And they don't just eat roses, right? Oh, no. They like everything except they tend to stay away from the uh, potted geraniums, the pelargoniums. Huh. But they'll pretty much eat anything in Indiana. Well, we don't have very many Japanese beetles in Oklahoma. I've seen one once here in my house. What? One. Yeah, I know. They don't come this far south very much. They're in Missouri, and I'm sure they're in northeastern Oklahoma, but where I live, I don't see them. So I'm lucky in that respect. Oh, my gosh. But what do you do for Japanese beetles since I don't have to deal with them? Well, for Japanese beetles, I do not spray for them. I know you can spray for them. But, you know, you'd have to spray just a general insecticide and you would kill everything else. Right. So I I have eliminated things from my garden that they would feast upon sometimes. And a lot of people, and me included, I just pick them off and either try to smash them or knock them into a bucket of soapy water and just try to keep the population down a little bit. Right, and I've heard that those beetle traps sometimes attract more beetles to your garden. I've heard that. Not sometimes. Always. They don't recommend those anymore because they bring in more Japanese beetles. So I, I tell people, yeah, I recommend Japanese beetle traps. I want it to be about three houses down. They should set up the trap and draw them away from my garden. Yeah, that's what happened. My sister-in-law told me that because she deals with them in Missouri, and they told them to stop, to stop doing that, stop doing the Japanese beetle traps. So roses are kind of a, for some people, a touchy subject. Some people don't like them because they do take a lot of care. But here's how much care I give my roses. And yeah, I grow them organically. And I know that that seems strange, but here's my thoughts on it. If my if the Queen of England can have a rose garden that has some black spot, so can Dean Ash. So you know I just don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm the same way. Here's how I deal with the few roses that I have. Uh-huh. They are kind of stuck in an area together. There's some stuff growing around below them. They are not hybrid teas. They're more shrub roses. And it's like they're not getting any more special attention than anything else other than, oh, you smell pretty. <laughs> So mine get a little more attention than that. I feed them every spring. 
I feed the soil, not the rose itself, but the soil, and I use something called Mills Rose Magic. And Mr. Mills was a rosarian, and he lived somewhere down south. He has since passed away, but there's a company that still makes his product, and it's not cheap, but it's wonderful stuff, and it has alfalfa and molasses and a bunch of other great stuff in it. And I, what I try to do is get that rose bush as healthy as I possibly can to produce as many blooms as I possibly can. If I get them fed twice in a year, it's a minor miracle, but I feed them at least once in the spring. And I also sometimes feed that same thing to my daylilies. But um, you can also just feed them alfalfa. Some people use alfalfa pellets, and that works too. So it's a good fertilizer, a good natural fertilizer. Now, thorns. So do you always hear about roses and their thorns, like our quote earlier? Right. Are they truly thorns? Uh, I don't think that they're thorns. You're going to tell me that they're prickles. I am going to tell you they're prickles. And I actually looked this up because I knew they were prickles, but I was thinking, why are they prickles and what does that even mean? So I looked it up, and this quote is actually from the New York Botanical Garden. And it says, in botanical language, there are three different classifications of these sharp points. They are grouped according to the plant material from which they develop. Thorns develop from shoot material, spines are modified leaf structures, and prickles come from the plant's epidermis and cortex, which are its outermost layers. Now, what's interesting about that is roses sometimes have spines on some of their leaves, on the ends of their leaves, and then they have prickles because it's on the outside of each stem. And, and one of the reasons you know they're prickles is because they're easily broken off. So my suggestion is if I'm working in an area with a rose that has a whole lot of prickles, especially like if I have to dig one up because there's something wrong with it, I knock all those off with my glove and they knock right off. And that way, and then wherever I'm going to grasp the rose, it's smooth. And then I dig the rose up because I learned that because I had to dig up a lot of roses, but we can talk about that later. So D, so that means this quote, we can complain because rose bushes have thorns. They don't. Correctly said, we can complain because rose bushes have Prickles, prickles or rejoice because prickles have thorns. <laughs> prickles have roses, <laughs> something like that. Thorn. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I, meant, did, I said thorns. I meant roses. I knew what you meant. Yeah, I and for years I didn't know that. That was something I learned after I started growing roses. So roses, if you don't spray them, especially for things, they get ugly, ugly legs in summer. And so you got this bush that has really pretty blooms, but the lower half of it is what might be leafless because it has black spot. Right. And you pulled off the leaves because you don't want those black spot leaves to be down around the rose at the bottom because that just gives you more spores to create more black spots. So what would you grow around your roses to make them look pretty while you're waiting for them to bloom again and fall when it's not so hot? Well... Uh, that's a good question, but because I don't have that many roses, they're just sort of stuck in the, really kind of in a modified perennial border, so whatever's growing around them just kind of takes over. There you go. What rose do you have? Do you know? This is sad, because I don't know. <laughs> is it yellow? I used to have yellow knockout roses. I took those out last year because the knockout roses, they just... They got really woody, and every year it's like they mm-hmm. bloom less and less, even though I cut them back. I, 
I have a, a small red rose that's a shrub rose, but it's it's got a lot of petals. Okay. I'll send you a picture. And then I have what I call fairy roses, which are single flowers and big groups of them, huh. and they're like pink and white. I call them fairy roses. And then I have uh, Proven Winners has the new shrub rose called At Last that is is scented. And so I have that one. Okay, and so they named it At Last because when rose breeders started to work really hard to make them disease resistant, they lost the scent along with it. And people really care about the scent of roses. That's one of the reasons they grow it. And at last had the scent back in it. And it has, if I'm, if I'm thinking of it right, and I'm just doing it from memory right now, it has a light tea scent. There's another group of roses out there that are extremely disease resistant shrubs. And that's the Oh So Easy group. And Oh So Easy, yes. and it's O-S-O Easy. Oh So Easy has, I can't tell you how many roses, but... Let's talk a little bit about, oh, we were going to talk quickly about what you plant around them. Okay, well, what I plant around mine are true geraniums. I'm not talking about pelargoniums that we call geraniums, but the true geraniums. Um, They look frothy under roses and cover them well. Short salvias like Victoria Blue, uh, wandflower, and GMs, anything that looks frothy or fills in or wine between, winds between plants, I think those look really good under roses, and I do a lot of that. I would agree. I don't know what you're referring to by you, when you say wand flower. Agara. Sorry, I should have said what it was. Gara linmerii. Am I saying that okay. right? Okay. Yeah, gara. I just had never called it that. Okay. Gara. Yeah. Got it. I don't know how you pronounce limnhamerii. I'll say that. Gara linhamerii. Um, it's a native plant, and there are several varieties out there right now other than the native. Um one of the varieties I love a lot is Belize Pink. I really like Belize Pink. So since we've discussed that, let's talk a little bit about your Seven Sisters rose that you had growing at home. Yeah, this is one rose that if I had to go back to the past and try to find it, I would. Mm-hmm. The rose doesn't exist, but uh, in spite of all the hybrid teas, my dad had one climbing rose that grew on the chain link fence and... It was spectacular in bloom, with loaded with pink flowers. Mm-hmm. And then all at one time, every petal would drop, and the lawn would be covered with rose petals. And it was kind of fun to kick around in those like they were leaves. Mm-hmm. I bet that but was fun. But then after that, after that, nothing. The, then it was just a thorn bush, so to speak, or prickly stems along the fence well a lot of old garden roses especially all old garden roses before the china rose all of those only bloomed once a year and there's several roses that are worthy because here's the deal they bloom for three weeks or four weeks yeah but then they don't bloom again for that year they only bloom once and in my state because it's so hot usually during the summer i don't get a lot of rose bloom in the summertime i get a really heavy bloom in spring sporadic bloom throughout the summer among my repeat bloomers and then I also get a good bloom in the fall so that's why I try to feed in summer so I feed before Mm -hmm. spring and then I feed in summer because there's no reason to feed them every month because they aren't going to bloom anyway but the old heirlooms like the gallicas the damask the moss centifolia all of those were really old types and they don't they don't bloom more than once but the China class of roses are what brought repeat blooming 
to all roses. So every rose that replete blooms now has what is called ramatan, which means just repeat blooming in French. All of those came from the China rose. They took the China rose and they bred it with other roses and created whole new classes. And one of the most famous classes that was created in America, it's the only American class of rose before hybrid teas, were noisettes. And noisettes were created by John Champney, but he may have pronounced it Champney, um, on his Charleston, South Carolina plantation. They were named for a French nurseryman. And noisettes are a cross between the pink Chinese rose, Old Blush, which I have one of those, and the European musk rose. And so they were the ones that I have a lot of noisettes. Noisettes tend to be smaller shrubs, not a lot of prickles, a few, but not a lot. And they tend to bloom in pinks, whites, or kind of an apricot yellow. And so some of the noisettes that I grow are Jeanne d'Arc, which is Joan of Arc. Um, and I, I blush noisette. I have blush noisette. I have several. And one of the important things about all of my noisettes is none of them got rose, rosette disease, which we're going to talk about more later. But that's a big deal. Right. None of them got it. And um, I grow a lot of other disease-resistant roses, too. But those, if you want a bit of history and an easy rose to grow in the South, grow noisettes. Um, Up where you live, that wouldn't work. I think some of these are not hardy enough to grow in my climate. And so I'm kind of stuck with uh, shrub roses. And I'll say shrub roses. But I will say that companies like Proven Winners have really come out with a lot of new shrub roses that have disease resistance and also have hardiness. But like the blush noisette, I don't think that would be hardy enough. No, it's only hardy to it's only hardy to zone seven. So noisettes wouldn't work for you. They work for people right. in the south. So you don't want those. But it's a neat rose class just because it was created here in yes. the U.S. Most of them were created in France. I have not seen a lot in Indiana, but you got almost wiped out in Oklahoma. Go ahead and talk about the rose rosette disease. Uh-huh. It should be called, okay, so it originally was called rose rosette disease, and people still call it RRD, but the truth is, is it's a virus. It's not a disease. If it were a disease, it'd be a lot easier to deal with. Um, rose rosette virus was once called the AIDS of roses. And it's true because once a rose bush gets it, you need to dig it up, shovel prune it, as we call it, dig it up, take it, put it in a plastic bag. Don't just throw it in your trash because you don't want the wind blowing on it at all because rose rosette virus was spread by a microscopic mite. And it's a wingless mite, but it can be spread by the wind. So those those mites blow around on the wind. And then they spread this nasty disease. And in my part of Oklahoma, almost everybody lost almost all of their roses. I had 100 roses in my garden, and I ended up being down to fewer than, I'd say, 10. And I waited. I I started seeing it in my garden in 2009. Nobody knew what it was. The only person I knew of who knew what it was was Nan, Nan Andra from Pennsylvania. She has a blog called Hayfield. And if she hadn't written about it, I would have never known what it was because of her. And it was on my uh, Zephyrine Druin. And I didn't know what to do. And I contacted her and she was like, it's a terrible problem in the northeastern part of the United States. 
And so she told me what to do, which was to dig it up and get rid of it. So it started, it was probably in my garden for two years before I knew what it was, before she was the only person who had written about it because the rose industry, they were hoping it wasn't going to be a big thing, but it ended up being a huge thing. And it has now spread. I know it has spread all the way through Oklahoma and Texas, and it's in Missouri because they now write about it on the Missouri Botanic Gardens website. Um, They are working very, very hard at several universities, including Oklahoma State, and I know they're working at Arkansas University, too, and West Virginia, to try to figure out what's going on. We do know that some of the roses that are native to the United States um, are not as susceptible to it, and I'm just going to tell you of a couple of... um, First of all, it came from Rosa multiflora. Rosa multiflora was brought here in the 1930s in the United States, the eastern part of the United States, as a hedgerow and also an erosion control because it makes these huge stems and becomes these huge brambles. But unfortunately, it has rose rosette virus within it, and the mites got on it, and they slowly started to spread it. And we knew about the disease or virus as early as the 1940s, but it hadn't spread like it did now. And there's several theories about why it spread so hard. I don't want to go into all of those because they're just theories. Um, And I don't want somebody saying, oh, that's not true. (laughs) So best way to get out of your garden is if you see it on anything, you'll see a witch's broom. It's a lot of weird growth at the top of the rose stem. And it'll be bright red and look really bad. And we'll put up some pictures of what rose rosette looks like. Um, Then dig up your rose dig up as much of it as can as the root of the roots and don't plant a rose in that same spot not because there's any of the virus in the dirt there isn't the virus stays in the roots and so if you don't get all the roots it's possible that you could spread rose rosette so d so, i have a question about that yeah so there there yeah. are other um shrubs in the rose family like i'm thinking of cotoneasters i think spirea are in the rose family um strawberries mm-hmm. are in the rose family is it okay to plant something else from the rose family in that spot or should you just kind of let that ground go fallow and maybe plant a few annuals and let it rest and try to get the virus out of it i don't know the answer to your question about other other things in the rose family as far as i know it only okay. affects roses but I wouldn't put anything permanent in that spot because you'll have rose stems trying to come up from the roots that you'll have to continue to break off. So I think your idea about the annuals is a great one. Good. I do. There were certain roses in my garden that didn't get it, though. Yeah. And you you said uh, a lot of your noisettes did not get the virus? Right. A lot of my noisettes did not get it. And also, I wrote down some of the other ones, too. Um, Belinda's Dream, which is a southern rose that was bred out of Texas by Dr. Basie. Basie's Blueberry, which is another one of his roses out of Texas, did not get it. Um, Also, Sunshine Daydream, which was sent to me by a rose company years ago, did not get it. And neither did Carefree Beauty, which is a Dr. Griffith Buck rose. None of those roses got rose rosette, even though they were planted right by other roses like you know i'd have zephyrin druin which is one of my very favorite roses it was on an arbor and carefree beauty was right next to it and it didn't get it so i don't know why they didn't get it they just didn't and that that made me glad because i would have hated to lose those right so the other question i had 
related to all that is you do have some blog posts on your blog. They're they're often referenced by people. So we'll put a link up to the Rose Rosette post that you have on your blog so people can read more about it. Sure. But you're kind of bumming me out, so I want to move on to happier topics about roses. Well, let's talk about some um, roses that are disease-resistant that are English roses. Okay. Want to talk about that? That'll make me happy. Okay, English roses are David Austin roses. David Austin just died this year. Um, He was in his 90s, I think. And he created a whole class of roses, which it's a modern class, but it looks like an old rose, and most of them rebloom. I'd say 99% of them. I know, I think Constance Spry does not. So some of his roses, originally his English roses, were not really bred for the American climate, even though I had three of the first ones released to the United States. And now, however, they have some really great ones that are extremely disease-resistant, and I grow all of them that I can get my hands on. So... Let me name a few. One is named Harlow Carr, about the famous garden in the Yorkshire countryside. I saw it last year. I have three of those, and they grow like a shrub rose, and they're beautiful. Small blooms, like a noisette, um, but more like the English rose class. I don't know how I, I don't know how cold tolerant they are, but I think they're pretty cold tolerant. Boscobel is another one. The Alchemist is another one. And also Darcy Bustle, which is a red, a pinkish red, and it's named after a famous ballerina. Those are all extremely disease-resistant. I have not had much black spot on any of them, not even this year, which this year is trying for black spot. Oh, yeah. No, it's not trying for black spot. It's heaven for black spot. It's trying for roses. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the people that grow them. And then Graham Thomas is a really old one. It was one of the first three that came to the United States, and it is yellow, and boy, it, it it doesn't really get black spot either. And you can almost grow Graham Thomas as a small climber because it wants to be a climber even though it's not classified as one. Um, so English roses, there are some, and we also have, I have a blog post about that. If you search on my blog for English roses or David Austin roses, you'll pull up a whole series of posts on Red Dirt Ramblings that have to do with my trials with various ones because I, I really like that class. I really like the way old garden roses look. Shrub roses are great, and I have a bunch of them, but when I decided to start planting roses again after Rose Rosette was no longer in my garden for several years, um, I went with English roses because I really wanted those the most. Yeah, and the pictures of roses growing on English cottages and stuff are just magical. I've I've never seen mm-hmm. a rose grow like that in Indiana, to be truthful. But I'm sure that someplace somebody's growing some magnificent roses. It's probably a one-time bloomer. Yes. You know, one of those old types that's very, very hardy. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I learned about rose rosette disease is plant lots of different plants in your garden. So now I grow a lot more natives. I always grew a really mixed garden, but most of my small shrubs were roses. And so I had to learn to get small shrubs that weren't roses. Right. And even in your garden, which is fairly large, a hundred roses takes up a lot of room. True. True. I was in love. What can I say? So Dee, did you join the American Rose Society? I'm embarrassed to say I never joined the American Rose Society, and here's why. In my particular state, back when I first started growing roses, and even later, um, the two 
state societies that were affiliated with ARS, they were all concerned about growing hybrid teas and growing it in the more traditional way. Right. And I, I just wasn't into that, so I didn't join. But I think the American Rose Society is actually a really good, really good group, and they've worked very, very hard on this rose rosette problem and worked with universities. So I think it is a very valid society. Yeah, and it is a very large society. There are thousands of members. And some of my great friends are in it. Yes. And then the other thing is, I remember we used to get the Jackson Perkins Rose Catalog when I was in living at home and high school and stuff. And to me, they scented that catalog to smell like roses. Really? Yes. And so okay, I, I think that's they, amazing. I think they put a scent on the pages to make it smell like roses or like an insert or something, which would make you want to buy more. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what kind of chemical they did because there's no way they could have done just regular rose scent. The first question anyone ever asks me about any rose in my garden, if I put a picture on Instagram, they say, oh, that's beautiful, oh, that's beautiful. But the second, second thing is always, what kind of scent does it have or is it scented? And I think some people don't know that roses can have many different scents. Some people just think of the traditional classic rose scent, uh-huh. but hybrid teas often have a tea scent, what's called a tea scent. Um, some roses smell more like raspberries. I mean, Renda Violet has definitely a raspberry strawberry scent to the flowers. And when I grew old, a lot of old garden roses, um, my whole garden had a real depth of scent that it probably doesn't have now. Some are spicy. It's, it's really kind of an amazing thing. And I think we need to thank the Rose Rustlers of Texas for saving many, many varieties of roses that were old garden roses out there. They were no longer in commerce in the 1970s because, well, hybrid teas were a big thing from the about the 40s through the late 70s, I would say, early 80s, right? I would, I would say yes. And so the Rose Rustlers... Because it's hard to grow roses in Texas and Oklahoma, they started thinking, let's go out and take cuttings from roses in cemeteries, roses that have just done, you know, grown on their own. And everybody in towns in Texas, various towns, knew of a particular rose. Hey, that rose over there looks, you know, whatever. And one of my roses, well, many of my roses in my garden, but one of my favorite roses, Carefree Beauty, when I first bought it from Antique Rose Emporium, a long, long time ago, it was called Katy Road Pink after Katy, Texas. Katy Road Tex- in Katy, uh-huh. Texas. And I thought it was Katy Road Pink for years. And then finally they discovered it was Carefree Beauty. So they not only got all these roses and got them into distribution, but they also um, started to research, the different companies started to research, what is this rose? And one of the roses I have in my garden called Jefferson is now thought to be soft tea, which is a really old rose. So kind of a cool thing, right? It is very cool um, that they went out and found these old roses. And like you and I were talking about before, these old roses existed without any cultivation in like old cemeteries or around old homesteads. Mm-hmm. And so by finding them, they were able to reintroduce them back into the trade and they have disease resistance, which is really, really important. Yeah, disease resistance, don't need much water. And there's a whole classification 
that they use now in Texas that's called Earthkind roses. And Earthkind roses are both modern roses and old garden roses that have that great quality of not needing a lot of care. And those are the kind of roses that, other than English roses, that I grow in my garden because often they grow on their own roots and they aren't even grafted. But that's probably enough about roses. It is probably enough about roses. I have a quote to end up with. You ready? This one's from Dale Carnegie. One of the most tragic things I know about human nature is that all of us tend to put off living. We are all dreaming of some magical rose garden over the horizon instead of enjoying the roses that are blooming outside our windows today. You know, that's probably one of my very favorite rose quotes of all time because it is so true. It's true. You should enjoy what you've got. And I will enjoy the few roses that I have and not lament that my house doesn't look like an English cottage covered with roses. Well, even mine doesn't look like that because I I lost all the climbers. You know, the climbers that climbed my walls, they're all gone. Okay, so what vegetable are we going to talk about today? I think you're going to have to talk about this. We're going to spend like two seconds on this vegetable because neither one of us is really growing it. And I, but I have another quote that kind of ties it together. Okay. An idealist is one who, on noticing that roses smell better than a cabbage, concludes that it will also make a better soup. H. L. Mencken. <laughs> we we know that roses do not make a better soup than cabbage, although they are and, edible. <laughs> although they are edible, I love rose petals in my tea. I do but, too. Cabbage is another thing. Like roses, it is hard to grow it organically and keep oh, yeah. it pest-free. There's oh, a yeah. Euro- the European cabbage butterflies. They're so pretty and white floating around the garden. Lay their eggs at the base of the cabbage and broccoli and Brussels sprout plants. And then those larvae hatch and they feast on the cabbage or the broccoli or the Brussels sprouts and leave big holes in the leaves and it's a big mess. And so... We are not going to talk about cabbage as much other than to say good luck to you if you decide to grow it. Grow it <laughs> under cover. And it is too late now to plant cabbage. If you thought, oh, I should have planted cabbage, wait until later this summer, plant it for a fall harvest. Yeah. <laughs> I only grow cabbage. I grow cabbage as a trap crop. Like yeah. if I want everything to go and eat something up instead of eating what I like. Um, it seems like cabbage moths or cabbage butterflies, whatever they are, they like cabbage better than they like the other brassicas. So that's uh, true. That <laughs> anyway, how are your turnips, Dee? We were having a big turnip growing competition. The turnips themselves are great, but I'm having a little trouble with that cabbage creature, cabbage moth, on my. Uh, on my turnip leaves. They're kind of chewing through my leaves. And I've been hoping that the wasps will go over there and eat them. So far, they just wanted to stay in my lettuce. But I, um, they're doing great. They're beautiful and purple, and I've eaten some of them. I should take a picture yeah. before I eat anymore. I, mine look really good, too. And I was just out there. I have the little purple shoulders are showing in the ground. I'll send you a picture of them. And I'm going to okay. pick some of them and uh, fix me some turnips. Yeah, that sounds good. I love I love turnips. So how are we going to let people vote? And when are we going to do this? People aren't going to vote. We're just we're just going to duke it out. You you think oh. people should vote on who has the prettier turn, turnips? Well, that's what we said originally. 
Okay, then we'll we'll come up with something. We'll post pictures on Instagram and we'll ask people to decide which one they like the best. We won't tell okay. them which one's the better ones. It'll probably be next week though because I'm getting ready to go do something and I I don't have time to post all, right. all the pictures. So we'll right. probably do that next week. So, what's our dirt today? So, our dirt is people have asked, how did Carol and D meet? Because they say you're doing a podcast with a woman in Oklahoma? And I'm like, yep. They, they say that as though I live in Timbuktu. Well, you look, It's just a few states away. Well, yeah, you have to go through the rest of Indiana, all of Illinois, all of Missouri. And then, I, are, then, and then you're here. And then you're in Oklahoma. Do you, sh- yeah. you share a state line with Missouri? I, I do a corner. I, I don't really know. I know Oklahoma is north of <laughs> That's Texas. Sad. I know it's north of Texas. <laughs> so is most of the country. <laughs> oh, well, anyway. Yes, if you come through Missouri, the corner, you'll be close to Tulsa. And so, so where, I live in South Where is this place called Missouri? Because I'm familiar with a state called Missouri. Missouri. Okay, so the interesting thing about Missouri, or Missouri, is that if you lived in southern Missouri, which is where my family was from, my mother's family, you call it Missouri. But if you live up by St. Louis, it's Missouri. So further north, it's Missouri. Southern part is Missouri. Well, I just wondered. Further north is Catholic. Further south is evangelical. Well, I I wanted to know where this Missouri was, if it was near Missouri. That's where it is. Okay. They're the same state. Really? So how do we meet, Carol? Well, we both started doing that garden blogging thing back in the the late 2000 aughts. 2006, 2007. I was a big fan of your blog, way before I blogged. Like, you blogged before me. I blogged before you, and then you started blogging. I read your blog, and then one day uh, they decided to have a bloggers meetup in Austin, Texas. The Garden Bloggers Fling. Yes, and we both went. It was the first one. And that's how we met in person. And we were quoted in the same newspaper article. We were quoted in the same newspaper article in the Austin Statesman, which was very exciting. It was, and that article was written by Robin Chatsonoff, and she wrote one of my very favorite gardening books called People with Dirty Hands. And I remember when she was out there interviewing, people told me she was there, that she was the reporter, and I got so excited because I loved her book. I think I kind of freaked her out when I met her. But anyway, you were called the garden rock star. (laughs) Yeah, I was the garden rock star, and then I never let people forget stuff like that. No, she doesn't, for sure. So anyway, we became friends, and then we I, I was already a member of Garden Calm, and then I talked her into joining. I and Marianne Newcomer talked her into joining, right? Talked you into joining. That's, that's right, and then um, I've been in Garden Calm for, I don't know, 11 years now? That long. What was your first conference? The first conference I went to was in Raleigh, North Carolina. So my first conference was Oklahoma City. My friend Patsy Hobson said I should join. And so I joined and went to the first conference. And to this day, people talk about what a great conference it was in Oklahoma. And I go, thank you. I I wasn't really a part of it. But, I mean, I just came. But, yes, the people put on a great conference here. So that was neat. Yes. And then, D. so this is sort of a coincidence. But I'm wearing this green T-shirt that says seeds across it. 
Yes, I remember I, that. I, I was going to say, I bought this in Raleigh, but what it was is I made you get off the bus and go buy it for oh me my gosh, before yes. the bus took off. You ran and bought the T-shirts and came back. And I still wear it to mow. Because then I have a T-shirt and I showed it to you and it was green. And so therefore you said you had to have it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mine's long gone. They said, oh, no, look, it's still in good shape. I'm mowing it. It's in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to tell a fact about Carol that her friends know that other people don't know. She likes to only wear green. That is a fact. So do you know a fact about me that other people don't know? Uh, I don't know that I do. <laughs> I've stumped her. <laughs> you have stumped me. You may not. <laughs> You'll have to think about that. Maybe we can talk about that next time. But we met in Austin. And we've been friends ever since. Is it your Daylily collection? Is that what people don't know? Uh, some people know about it. I have quite a few. We'll talk about those another episode. So yep, that'll be our flower another time. We're going to link to a couple of books that you recommend, Antique Roses of the South and also The Sustainable Rose Garden, A Reader in Rose Culture. We're also going to link to another mm-hmm. book that we both found very interesting called Chasing the Rose, An Adventure in the Venetian Countryside, about a guy who goes around Europe trying to find the original roses. Um, I don't know. It's been a while since I read he was it. Trying to find a one, he was trying to find one particular rose, and it came out of Italy, and so he went searching for it. it was, that was a really good book on many levels because it was kind of a travel log along with being a rose book. You right. learn about roses. You learn about Italy. That can't be bad. Now, one of our listeners posted on Facebook a while back and wanted to know the difference between organic and non-organic gardening. And you and I were going to tackle this, but last week, yeah, uh, last Uh. week, I listened to the latest episode of another gardening podcast called Plant Rama with C.L. Fernari and Ellen Zakos, and they covered that topic very, very well. So in, and so we're going to link to it. We'll link to it instead of us trying to repeat or feel like, you know, hey, we can do this better than they can do this. We cannot. They did a great no. job. And so we're going to encourage people to go back to our show notes, find Plant Rama, find this episode, um, which is about peat moss, beautiful containers and organic labeling. Mm-hmm. And it was really good. And they explained all the different, I mean, all the ins and outs of all of it. Because it's a really complicated topic. It's not an easy one. No. And then our, we'll um, be sure that our listener who sent that in knows about that. Great. So we've done very well, Dee. We're about done. We are. I hope I didn't bore people about roses. I get a little bit excited about it, like beekeeping. No, it was interesting. I always learn something more about roses whenever I talk to you because I am not well steeped in rose culture. Well, I mean, it was my first love. That's all I can say about it. And I have these passions that get me in trouble. Yes. Well. Of the plant kind. We will. (laughs) We'll just explore more of those passions in the days uh, weeks ahead we have we haven't even touched on daylilies we haven't touched on uh what are my passions i don't know every plant we haven't touched on my figs 
We got lots to talk about. Your figs, your figs would be a good thing to talk about. Maybe next time. We have a lot to talk about here at the Garden Angelus. So with that, we want to let everybody know they can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, where we are the Garden Angelus. They can email at us, email us at thegardenangelus at gmail.com. And um, we we love to get people's comments. We love to get people's questions. And if you like us, go to iTunes and give us a nice rating. That helps us kind of move up and more people find us. Yay. It was great chatting with you over the garden gate today. And it was great to chat with you as well, Dee. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.